Thank you for listening to the Maranatha Free Lutheran Church Sermon Archive. It's our hope that this message would encourage you in your faith and would help you to get to know God's love, grace, and mercy in a personal way. If you have any questions on the sermon or would like to know more about Maranatha, please visit us on the web at maranathafreelutheran.com or call our church office at 218-498-2808. Thank you, and may God bless. I'm curious about something. How many of you would have been here in the fall of 2009? That's 14 years ago. Okay. Um, we went through a sermon series back then in First and Second Peter. How many of you remember any messages from that series? And I think it's safe to go through it again. Uh, that's what we're planning on doing this uh, next few months here at Maranatha. And, and you know, one of the great things about God's Word is that even if we've read it all before, um, there's always more to learn. And also there are new situations we face in life that make it applicable in new ways. And relating to that, I want to just mention, uh, we, we have these scripture journals, again, available in the back. If you've uh, used these in the past as we've gone through a book study, um, you're welcome to pick them up and use them again. It's an ESV study, or I should say text on one side, and, and then the other side has a place for notes. And if that would help you as we walk through this together to, to make use of it on your own as well, I encourage you in that. It's available for anyone. There's several in the back table there. I also hope to have a, a Bible study guide with some discussion questions of, um, in, first, in first Peter available um, by next Sunday in case there are some that would like to use it in another setting. Um, maybe a small group Bible study would use it. Um, and uh, we might, as I mentioned, consider having a Bible study here this fall on, on 7 o'clock on Wednesdays where we would walk through that as well. And so remember to check that on your sheet there if that's something you're interested in. Uh, one of the things that I find very intriguing about the epistles of Peter is that whereas with the Apostle Paul, he, he wrote 13 letters that we have in our, in our Bibles, and, and they were written to various congregations um, or individuals that were connected with the missionary journeys he took, Peter wrote two letters, um, not to specific churches or, in, or persons, but to a wide group of Christians that were scattered, scattered as a result of some intense persecution that had taken place, um, it kind of began with the stoning of Stephen that we have in, in uh, Acts chapter 7. And then it continued to grow in intensity so that many of them ended up leaving everything. Um, fled for their lives to various points in Asia Minor, which is the area that we now think of as Turkey. And so with that in mind, that kind of introduces what we see right at the very beginning here in 1 Peter chapter 1. I invite you to stand in reverence to God's word as we read. <clears throat> Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. 
And in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. So at the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. And it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Lord God, we just thank you for your word through the Apostle Peter. And Lord, as we begin this series, uh, we pray that you would help us to, to grasp the things that Peter tells us and, and to recognize how they apply to our, our day and age, Lord, and the various challenges we face in the world around us. And as we look forward to your return, Jesus, uh, we pray in your name. Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> So as I mentioned, as we see in the first verses here, Peter writes to those who reside as exiles or scattered aliens. Um, he, he writes to Christians that have been displaced, scattered throughout Pontus and Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, which are all parts of present-day Turkey. And, and that means then this, that they were not citizens of the country they were currently dwelling in. Um, and, and I find it quite applicable for us to realize this, that, that that really is, in a way, our situation as well. We as Christians are to see ourselves as citizens of heaven, who are temporarily then dwelling as aliens in a foreign land. And if we keep that mindset, it'll help us tremendously <clears throat> in dealing with some of the disturbing things that are happening in the culture here on this earth. Peter further in, um, identifies his audience in verse 2 here <clears throat> as those who are elect or chosen <clears throat> according to God's foreknowledge. And, and let's not make this subject any more complicated than it needs to be today. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ as your Savior, recognize this, God knew before you were born that you would become a believer, and God caused that to come about as the Holy Spirit brought you to personal faith through the Word and sacraments. And Peter also says about his, apostle, or about his audience here in verse 2 <clears throat> that they are people in whom the Holy Spirit is continuing to work to bring about sanctification and obedience to Jesus. And with that, then we come to this main statement in this whole section of verses. Verse 3 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And everything that follows is connected back to that thought. Blessed be God who, first of all, in verse 3, who has shown us great mercy. That is, he has given us way better than we deserve. He has not given us what we do deserve. Um, one version of, of a corporate confession of sin uh, says it this way, and I quote, Almighty God and Heavenly Father, we poor, miserable sinners confess that from our childhood until this very hour, we have sinned against your commandments by evil thoughts, words, will, and works, which we cannot count. And by vast unbelief, 
Therefore, we are not worthy to be called your children, nor lift up our eyes to heaven, end quote. That confession is a reminder of our sinful condition. However, God has been very merciful to us, and he has provided a way that we rebels could be adopted into his family and approach him in prayer at any time. Blessed be God who has shown us great mercy and also who has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Now, first of all, what does it mean that he's caused us to be born again? Is, is there anybody here who was never born physically? Of course not. Um, well then, when you were born physically, how much did you have to do with making that happen? Very little, right? You, you were quite helpless when your mother's body said, it's time to come out now, um, time to be born. And, and if things weren't going right with that, then, then you were born naturally, a doctor performed a C-section and brought you out into the world. Not due to your own strength. Well, at the time of that physical birth, spiritually, we were all born sinners. We were bent on evil and rebelling against our maker, helplessly unable to change that either. And the Bible tells us that we then need a new birth. We need God to step in and to make us spiritually alive, to give us a new heart, a new nature that desires to live for him. And that's what he does as we hear the gospel of forgiveness of sin through Jesus and we come to believe in him as our Savior, we are born again spiritually. Blessed be God who has caused that, who has caused us to be born again and then born really into a whole new perspective on life. Born again to, he describes it here as a living hope. What's a living hope? Well, you might say in a way it would be opposite of a dead hope, uh, which is something that you've hoped for before and you've given up on. Um, the Christian is born to a living hope. For, for the Christian, life is never so dark that, there's, that all hope is gone. And, and that is because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We, we have a living hope because of the resurrection of Jesus. A God that can raise the dead can do anything. And, and so no situation is hopeless. And, and ultimately then for the Christian then, no matter how bad life here on earth gets, even if I lose my earthly life, I still have hope because Jesus demonstrated he has power even over death itself. And as Jesus rose from the grave, so we can believe what he says. When he says, I am the resurrection and the life, he who believes in me will live even though he die. And Peter had been there. He had seen Jesus, the risen Christ, with his own eyes. And so he encourages these Christians that are scattered by persecution with a reminder that even if it comes to that point where they die, that's not the end, and one day their bodies too will rise from the grave to eternal life. And Peter explains this further by describing a little bit of what heaven will be like. And so he's saying, Blessed be God who has shown us great mercy and caused us to be born again to a living hope. And part of that hope then, he says, involves getting an inheritance in heaven someday. What's an inheritance? Well, if you're born physically into a family here on this earth, it assures you then as a child that you have a portion of the inheritance from mom and dad, however big or small that'll end up being. And, and uh, sometimes that might even involve uh, inheriting a house to live in, for instance. And one thing I've noticed about houses is that they gradually deteriorate. And so sometimes you might end up inheriting then a lot of work and expense as well. But that's not so with this inheritance he's describing. It won't need upkeep. It'll, it'll never deteriorate. 
as Peter's word here in verses 3 and 4 to Christians that are scattered by persecution and have gone through losing their homes and much of their earthly possessions, there's a great encouragement that he wants to give them here. You've been born again to a living hope, and, and that means that you will obtain an inheritance that is imperishable, he says. So many things in this life are, are perishable, from the leftover food in the fridge to our vehicles to our homes and even our bank accounts. Our, our, our money shrinks in a bad economy. It, it gets spent to pay bills and our taxes. And so even our earthly inheritance can end up perishing before our eyes. But, but God's word tells us it's not so with our inheritance in heaven. It, it, we won't need to bring it to the shop with costly repairs. We won't need remodeling or refinancing. It's imperishable. It's also undefiled. Now, to defile is to stain or to make something dirty or, or evil. Our, our clothes get dirty and need to be washed. Our, our carpets get dirty as we walk on them. Our cars get dirty as we drive them. And, and we regularly then are needing to clean things on this earth because they get dirty over and over again. Not so with our heavenly inheritance. As far as I know, there'll be no cleaning in heaven. Have you thought about that? Um, it, it'll remain undefiled forever. Not only that, but the perfect peace and joy of heaven will not be defiled or destroyed by evil or, or wiped out by sorrow and pain. It'll remain pure and undefiled. He says it's also unfading. Now, fade means to lose one's brightness. We, we look around at this time of year and we see that the leaves and the grass are beginning to fade in color again. Our clothes, as they get washed over and over, lose some of their brightness. The paint on the walls gradually fades. So do other things in life, including even our own earthly bodies. Some of you have faded in the 14 years I've been here. And so have I. And that's discouraging stuff, isn't it? But it's not so with our inheritance in heaven. It's not deteriorating or, or fading in brightness one bit while it waits for us, nor will it fade while we're there. It, it'll be as bright and vivid and as much of a thrill a thousand years after we get there. It will not fade away. And then he says this, and it's reserved in heaven for you. Now, reserved means to be set aside for a time when it's needed. When you register for an event, you submit a payment and you receive some tickets or other proof of your reservation uh, when you register at a motel by phone or internet, uh, they might take your credit card and then they reserve a spot for you. However, sometimes it still ends up that there's a mix-up and that spot is given to another party. Will that happen with your eternal inheritance? Not a chance. If you got your reservation in, it's secure, he's saying. Why does Peter use these words here? Imperishable, undefiled, will not fade away, and reserved well, God wants believers in Jesus Christ to know that we have an eternal destiny and we have incomparable security and assurance of that salvation if we're personally trusting in Jesus for forgiveness of our sin and eternal life. And he wants us to know this because there's one other thing that the Christian should expect in life, and that's trials. And so Peter is saying here, blessed be God who has shown us great mercy Blessed be God who through Jesus Christ's resurrection caused us to be born again to a living hope and an eternal inheritance. And blessed be God who has us go through trials in this life. You, you see, being a Christian doesn't exempt you from trials. It, it might actually increase your trials. Jesus said, I, I am 
uh, or excuse me, he said, in this world you will have tribulation, but fear not, I have overcome the world. Some of you might be in the midst of some trials in your life now. Maybe it's a financial crisis. Maybe you're worried about the future. Maybe you're going through tremendous loneliness. Maybe you have a relationship that's falling apart. Maybe you're discouraged and, and you're lacking hope. Well, Christian friend, we are to expect trials. But God in his grace and mercy can give us a different perspective on those trials. And we see that here as we look at verse 5. In, in the midst of those trials, he protects us through faith. When trials come along, for us who are Christians, they might even drive us to our knees at times. And, and we recognize in a fresh our helplessness and, and that really all, all we can do in some of those situations is to pray. And, and so in faith, we go to the Lord in prayer and we ask for his help and we trust that he'll give it. That he'll give us wisdom to sort out what to do. That he'll give us strength to persevere. That he'll remind us of his presence and that we're never alone. And he'll remind us that those trials are all temporary, but we have something to look ahead to that is eternal. And God has given us trials in this life, and he says here, part of it is to test or to prove the genuineness of our faith. You know, if everything came easy in this life, we might think we don't even need God, and we might try to run our own life. But the trials come for everyone, and, and oftentimes God uses them to bring people to see their helplessness and their need for him. And even for the Christian, we need regular reminders of that, lest we forget and we stray. And the trials then actually keep drawing us back to the Lord and to learning a humble trust and dependence on him. And then it tells us also here that the trials will result in something. They will result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We who live 2,000 years after Jesus walked on this earth, we, we don't see Jesus with our eyes right now, but, but the day is coming when we will, when he returns for his own. And, and so Peter reminds us here concerning that you don't see him now, but you believe in him and you love him because you know what he's done for you in bringing you forgiveness of sin and eternal life. And, and also then you rejoice about him and the day is coming in which you will obtain then the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls will be complete. And that brings us to the last three verses of this text. As Peter reflects back on what God has done here, he says this. He says, Blessed be the God who has accomplished this amazing plan of salvation in Jesus Christ. Peter was in awe of God's salvation plan. This plan that God had mapped out and begun to reveal even right after Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, um, back there in Genesis, um, right after that, he promised the coming of a Savior, there in Genesis 3.15. And, and then throughout the Old Testament, he, he sent his prophets who revealed a little bit more and more about this salvation plan. And, and concerning that, then, even though his prophets um, knew some things, they had limited knowledge. And, and they, they came then, it tells us here, the prophets made careful search and inquiry regarding it. They were curious about the details because, you see, they didn't know the person or the time. They knew that someday the Savior would come, and, and they were given some of the details, even like where he would be born and how he would die. But they were not told when the Savior would come on the scene or who he would be. Those things remained hidden from them as they predicted his sufferings and, and the glory to follow. However, one thing that was revealed to them 
is that they were not serving themselves, but people that would come long after them. God called the prophets over a period of hundreds of years to gradually map out that salvation plan and in so doing then to accomplish something way bigger than any of them and he called them to gradually then reveal God's salvation plan and, and God's amazing sovereignty to carry it out. And he, showed, and he used them to show the world through prophecy and fulfillment that Jesus Christ truly was the Son of God and the promised Messiah. And Peter tells us one other intriguing thing here about God's salvation plan here. He says, angels long to look into this salvation. You know, God used angels as his messengers many times to, to humans over the years, including as he came to Zechariah in the temple, who would be then the father of John the Baptist, and, and sent angels to Mary, telling her she would, or a, a angel telling her that um, she would be with child by the Holy Spirit. And, and Angels to the shepherds in the hills by Bethlehem to announce Jesus' birth. Many other times as well, he used angels. But even the angels could not understand God's salvation plan ahead of time, nor comprehend it after it all came about, though they rejoice as they see it unfold, and as they then see um, sinners repent and turn and believe in the Savior. And that brings me to ask this, and does that include you? Have you recognized God's great mercy on you? Have you come to believe in the crucified and risen Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior from sin? Have you grasped that, 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 that because of that, then you have been given the promise of an eternal inheritance? And, and that no matter what trials come along in this life, God can use those things to strengthen your faith so that someday you will see your Savior and you will praise and honor him for bringing you through all those trials and giving you this awesome salvation. Let us pray. Lord, I thank you for Peter, for the life that he lived, for the, the things we learn about him in the Gospels that reveal a, a humble fisherman whom you called to, to be a follower of you. And, and Lord, I thank you that he wrote these letters where he reveals how you changed his life and how you had an amazing plan of bringing salvation to the world. And Lord, as I think of those who he wrote to specifically in his time who were scattered because of persecution, who had to adjust to being without all kinds of things that they might have had before. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to recognize that, that we too are, are aliens or exiles just dwelling here temporarily. And, and Lord, that we wouldn't hang tightly onto the things of this world, but that we would live in a relationship with you. And, and Lord, that we would know forgiveness of our sin and the promise of eternal life and, and that we'd be reminded of that amazing inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, will not fade away, reserved for, for those who know and love you. And Lord, we pray that you'd use us to help to spread the message of the living hope that we have in you, Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen.